You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Merry Christmas. What are we? Uh, We're nine days from Christmas. Hope everyone has their sanity Hopefully you're not spending too much time in the mall. Hopefully you've got some some Christmas presents purchased, maybe even wrapped. Uh, but here we are for episode 11 of the flagship. So if you're wrapping presents, whatever you're doing, we're we're going to help you get through. We're going to help you get through the holiday season. Taylor Estes, managing editor of Horns 24/7, with a new contract, mind you, that yes. was announced this week. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, really excited to be uh, continuing to work with you, Chip, and Bobby, and Mike, and Jeff Howe, and you know all of the 24-7 folks, because you and I have been at a lot of different places, and I feel very confident saying this is the best out there, best in the business, the most supportive um, you know, company to work for. So I'm very excited that they uh, want to keep me on for a little longer. So it's happy. definitely a good day. Well, I know you love it when I do this, when I bring up your dad. <laughs> a member of the you love Miracle. my dad more than me, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it is pretty cool that yeah. your dad is a member of the Miracle Mets, World Series 1969, World Series champion, scored the game-winning run in Game 4. But I, I say, like your dad, you are a five-tool player. I think you get more done in an hour than I get done in a day. And yeah. you are a great teammate. And very, very thankful that uh, that CBS uh, Sports Interactive sees it that way too. So congratulations! Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, especially like you're you're the godfather of breaking Texas news. I mean, look at what you've done this week, right? Wow. Chris Sash, you were ahead of the news all along. You know, you were the first to report that he was going to be the defensive coordinator at Texas, and you know, now since then, other places have followed your reporting, even though they, they have not credited you. But we're going to give you credit because your report came out 45 minutes before somebody else's. So good job, Chip. As usual, you're always ahead of the game. So it's uh, exciting to work with you, especially, you know, because of the amount of intel you get. You know, it makes it makes my job a lot easier to be a five-tool player, <laughs> to be honest, when you have teammates like you and Bobby and Jeff and Mike. I mean... You guys uh, are the best out there. So congratulations on your um, news there, too. Well, thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, that that uh, Sunday, that was the highlight. Because after that, I went out, got in my car, and my right rear tire had six pounds of pressure. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And so I'm, like, driving to the only tire place that's open on a Sunday. And sure enough, there was some screw in the tire. They were able to fix it, but I spent um, most of Sunday afternoon in a tire place uh, making calls and texts as we try to determine who Tom Herman's offensive coordinator is going to be. So, Taylor, let's let's get into it. Um, Chris Ash, who was the co-defensive coordinator with with Ohio State. Um, in 2014, when the Buckeyes won the national championship, Tom Herman was the offensive coordinator on that on that team. 
and Chris Ash and Tom Herman also overlapped at Iowa State on Paul Rhodes' staff when Herman was the offensive coordinator and Chris Ash was the defensive backs coach in 2009. So it people are going to say it was a comfort hire, um, but I mean, I don't have any doubt that Chris Ash was the reason that Tom Herman fired Todd Orlando. Yeah, I think Tom Herman absolutely believed that he could get Chris Ash to come in and be the defensive coordinator. And you don't fire a guy like Todd Orlando, who got a raise two years ago from one point one million to one point seven million and still had a year left on a guaranteed contract uh, making one point seven million next year. Uh, you don't fire Todd Orlando uh, unless you've got a guy, and I think this was Tom Herman's guy from the jump. People are, yeah. you know, people are saying, "Oh, did he?" He said he interviewed numerous candidates on both sides of the ball. That's fine. I mean, you can make a call here, a call there. Uh, I was asked in the mailbag this week, you know, were others considered? Yeah, they were considered, like in the way you consider what would life be like on Mars. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just. It never got anywhere deep in terms of consideration for other candidates. But look, you can do worse than a guy who's won a national championship as a co-defensive coordinator for Urban Meyer. Right. So, you know, I think, look, Tom Herman has the most at stake in these decisions. It's going to make or break his tenure at Texas. So I say, okay. Let's let's see what Chris Chris Ash has as a defensive coordinator, because Chris Ash, the defensive coordinator, is different from Chris Ash, the head coach at Rutgers. And some guys are better coordinators than they are head coaches. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, um, you know, I think I, I could see how a lot of people did see this as a comfort hire. Um, but, you know, Tom Herman's experience with Chris Ash has been a positive one. And he trusts him. And, you know, with Tom Herman, he he's, you know, he's not he's pretty rough around the edges. You know what I mean? So I think that the one positive that immediately comes with Chris Ash, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of positive. I'm not just saying this is the only one, but one of them is, you know, he understands Tom Herman. He understands how he works um, now, he's never worked under him since Tom Herman became a head coach. So we may see a little bit of a different side of Herman. But, you know, I think that the familiarity with knowing, you know, this guy is not going to be some, you know, loose cannon that he's not really sure of their personality or anything like that. I think that's something that can help a situation, especially if you are dealing with a person like Tom Herman, who, you know, he's he's going to just do his own thing. You know, it's uh, his way. And I think that that'll be something that will be, you know, something that Chris Ash will probably understand or probably already does understand, which is, you know, a positive from day one, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's in it, Tom Herman is different as from what I hear guys who worked with him at Houston, Tom Herman's different at Texas than he was at Houston. Yes. Um, you know, look, He's making five million bucks a year now. Six million. Sorry. Jeez. He's up to six million now. Um, so it's that's that's a whole lot different from the the you know million plus he was making at Houston. And 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 so it'll be interesting to see how 
how both of these guys have changed uh, through their their time away from each other the last five, six years. Right. And and one thing, you know, Chris Ash, a lot of Texas fans got sick and tired of watching Todd Orlando's three man front and his three, three, five. And I got sick of it because he didn't play his ends outside the offensive tackles. It drove me insane. I talked about how I don't want to ever see a defensive end in the four eye at Texas again, Yeah. because it drove me insane. And then lo and behold, in the Texas tech game, after falling behind 14, nothing Todd Orlando fans, his, his ends out outside the offensive tackles and they get a pass rush. Right. And you know, the first time Malcolm Roach is outside the offensive tackle, he gets a sack. Marquez Bimich had, you know, a tackle for loss, a forced fumble. And, and so the good news is Chris Ash runs a four, three, a base four, three that could change once he gets into the, into the big 12, it could become, um, a four, two, five, but he, he tends to run a four, three over defense, which means, you know, he's got his, his ends outside the offensive tackle. He wants guys to get a pass rush with four, which is something that Todd Orlando was starting to get negatively recruited about because he tended to use his defensive linemen to slant into the gap to the left or the right of them to clear the clear the path for a blitz and talented defensive linemen don't want to play in that scheme they want to be able to use their hands they want to get guys off of them you know shed blocks make plays penetrate and that's the those are the skills that they're going to need if they're going to be able to impress the next level and and Chris Ash is going to employ that. Uh, he'll he'll play press man quarters coverage. That is what Gary Patterson plays. Uh, Gary Patterson has done exceptionally well with uh, his defensive schemes. So we we shall see. But he he likes long corners. He he'll put them on an island, and you know he'll leave safety help over the top when he needs to. But He'll also, um, you know, he'll probably play a lot of single high safety and bring that other safety down uh, to cut off the run. And um, so it, 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 for Texas fans, there you go. You wanted a four-man front? Here it comes. Chris right. Ash is bringing you a four-man front. Right, for sure. You know, one thing I'm kind of curious about is I think that one of the, from, from um, sources I talked to, I think one of the, Knox against Todd Orlando was, you know, he, he, um, wasn't the best recruiter on staff, you know, and he wasn't a bad recruiter, just not the best. Now, what I'm curious is, is how is Chris Ashton upgrade from Todd Orlando in that standpoint? Because I don't, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really believe that he's ever really recruited the state of Texas very heavily. And he's, you know, he hasn't coached in the state of Texas. So where are his relationships with the Texas high school football coaches? How is that going to impact, you know, these, these, uh, these top targets in the state of Texas, which has always been a priority of Tom Herman to win the state of Texas. And Texas has struggled to do that in recent years, but I'm curious to see how Chris Ash can maneuver kind of learning a new entirely new state especially one that is so competitive like the state of texas i mean that was something 
people had questions about when Charlie Strong was on staff or when his, him and his staff came to Texas, you know, where were their relationships with the high school football coaches? And, you know, those guys were really solid recruiters. So it didn't, you know, it became a little easier, I think, with them um, to develop those relationships. But Todd Orlando had already been recruiting the state of Texas when he was at Houston. So I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how Chris, Chris Ash can maneuver um, you know, not only jumping into a new role, um, facing Big 12 offenses, which he has never faced as a coordinator or a head coach. Um, there, I mean, even when he was at, at Iowa State, these offenses were totally different than what they are now in the Big 12. You know, those are two question marks, in my opinion, that um, and something I'm going to be kind of curious to see moving forward, how this is um, kind of impacted from the recruiting front side of it and then also you know, how he is going to be able to scheme against these big 12 offenses. Cause I mean, you know, I, I hope Texas fans aren't out there thinking that Texas all of a sudden is going to have the number one defense in the country, because I think it's impossible for any <laughs> coordinator, whoever it may be to have the number one defense in the country when you're facing these style of offenses in the big 12. Yeah. I mean, and he, he co-coordinated the defense at Ohio State with Luke Fickle. Now, um, Ash called the defense in 14 and 15 before being named the head coach at Rutgers, and then Fickle uh, called the defense uh, the following year in 16, and then he ultimately was named the head coach at Cincinnati. And um, So I agree with you. There's a lot of uh, intrigue as, as Chris, Chris Ash prepares to, to hit the ground running. And we'll obviously get some form of announcement, uh, it appears, after signing day. Um, and we'll, 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 get into the, we'll get into where Tom Herman might be headed with the offensive coordinator um, in our tailgate takeaways, Taylor. But, uh, and we've got Brian Doan uh, of 24-7 Sports, recruiting analyst up in the Northeast who covered Chris, Chris Ash at Rutgers and is familiar with uh, his recruiting both as a head coach and as a coordinator at Ohio State. So uh, I'm sure that our members here at Horns 24-7 are going to uh, appreciate that insight. And if you're not a member at Horns 24-7, as we head into National Signing Day, man, make sure you get an annual membership. I mean, give yourself this Christmas, the gift of an annual membership, because then you're getting VIP access to all the team sites on the 24 seven sports network. And you're getting all the incredible analysis from all the incredible recruiting analysts like Brian Doan. And, uh, and look, you're a Cowboys fan. You're on the Cowboys site. You want to know what's going on at LSU and Ohio state and OU and they're recruiting. You're on those sites, but that comes with an annual membership, not month to month, so get that annual membership this holiday season. Treat yourself. Right, Taylor? <laughs> it's the best gift that you can give yourself, especially if you're a Texas fan. But, yeah, I mean, it's the only network out there where you get access, if you are an annual member, to all um, VIP content across the network, regardless of who it is. So, you know, you can check in to see. I know this might be um, – a faux pas for me to mention among Texas fans, but you can check in to see what the Aggies are doing at Texas A&M site at Gigum 24-7. You can go to Go 24-7 to see what LSU is doing. Um, you know, Texas is going to face them uh, to start the season next year. So it's absolutely 
something that it's the gift that keeps on giving all year round and you will not be disappointed with the type of coverage you get not only from our staff at horns 24 7 but all throughout the network and all with all of the national analysts who actually go out and see these guys in in person and you know not just rely on them in camp settings like uh, another network does you know they actually go to all of the camps they go to their high school games they get in-depth analysis because they actually see them so I think you know if you're a Texas fan it's absolutely the best Christmas present you can give to yourself and to other Texas fans you can give a gift of a subscription to horns 24-7 boom (laughs) well with chat that chip Let's, uh, I want to hear Bobby Burton's take on this. You know, the godfather of this industry started Rivals.com, started 247sports.com. I want to get his take on the hire of Chris Ash and what he thinks this means for Texas. And then also what, where Texas is leaning with the offensive coordinator search. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. All right, Bobby Burton. We've got a defensive coordinator, Chris Ash. Uh, who was the co-defensive coordinator, called the defense at Ohio State in 2014 when the Buckeyes won the national championship. That defense gave up 22 points per game. And then in 2015, after Herman had taken the Houston job, Chris Ash oversaw uh, or called a Buckeyes defense that gave up 15.1 points. Per game, And then he was named the head coach at Rutgers. That did not go well. But Bobby, your initial thoughts about Chris Ash as defensive coordinator at Texas. I, I, I told you, I think I liked uh, quite a bit, actually. I, I felt like at first, when I first heard his name, and I did not know much about him. Um, I was just like, okay, who is this? And it sounded like it might be a comfort hire. And I'm actually one of those guys, I'm not saying that a comfort hire is right or wrong. I think you have to look at it independently. And based on his body of work and having been a coordinator at two different stops, you know, been the guy at at Rutgers overall, even though they didn't have a a good program, uh, which they haven't uh, for a long time. I I think that he's a good, good mix, particularly because of the style of defense. I think that Todd Orlando got the most out of Texas early on, um, perhaps when they had a more he had a more experienced defense, uh, not necessarily one uh, that uh, had to, to play more base defense. And then whenever he got into personnel that really didn't he couldn't handle some of the complexity of what he's trying to do or or um, get a pass rush without without sending the house. I think that, that Texas is in a situation, and Tom Herman's correct in, in making this decision, and that Texas is starting to get into a situation where they have the kids now, where they can just play a more conventional style of defense and still come out on, on top. That doesn't mean they'll always win, and it doesn't mean they're perfect, um, but they, they've got a number of guys right now on defense that are going to be sophomores, juniors, as sophomores and juniors that are going to be NFL players. I don't think there's any question in my mind that Joe Osai is an NFL player. Keandre Coburn is an NFL player. Jalen Green is going to be an NFL player. There are six or seven guys on that defense right now. I think they're going to be NFL guys. And if that's the case, then you're good enough to play more base defense. 
Um, and so I, I feel like that's a good thing. I think the fact that he's going to run a four-man front um, will be particularly good uh, for recruiting on the defensive line, which has been somewhat uh, maligned uh, from a recruiting standpoint. They got lucky in some ways with a guy like Tavondre Sweat that he's turned out to be um, all of what he's been. And so I, I look at it and I'm, I'm thinking to myself that really I, I, I like the hire. I think that um, – you know, Texas is going to get lit up. I think every defensive coordinator these days, there's not one of them that doesn't get lit up one game a year at least. Um, but I think that, that he'll limit those, and I think that he'll put the best players on the field and the best athletes on the field. And I think that alone, since Texas has recruited so well, will be a step in the right direction for Texas. So Chris Ash is an Urban Meyer guy, and – by all accounts, was um, a good recruiter as a coordinator. Struggled, obviously, to to get the players he needed uh, in a rebuild situation at Rutgers. But um, you know, he's a he's a guy from the Northeast. Um, you know, he's going to have to to learn on the fly, and but he's got that he's got that ring. Bobby, I mean, you've you you're the godfather. You've been, you know, you're you helped start the recruiting um, business in terms of getting you know information to the masses. What does that national championship ring mean in recruiting? Well, it, it can mean a lot at certain times. I I think that the bigger piece. And I don't, I really don't see the Northeast versus the West Coast versus the I. I don't think that really matters to coaches or kids very often. Maybe it does at the head coaching level where everybody is looking to you from a fan base, but from an assistant coach's position, really you're just trying to connect with a handful of kids that are yours. You know what I mean? Yep. And I, I think from what I, the people I've talked to that have uh, either played under him or worked with him, I think that's not going to be a problem. I think that he's a little bit of a player's coach in that way, in that regard. Um, and so I feel like if, if that, that being the case, he, he's not, it's not going to be so much about the ring, although that will obviously be there and can be there. I mean, guys like Jeff Akuda, you know, probably don't end up at Ohio state without guys like Chris Ash preceding him. You know, I, I, I just feel that, it was a good hire. I don't think I, I don't have these expectations like he's going to make Texas into the best defense in the country day one. That's I don't feel like that at all. I do think he's going to improve them, and I, I think they'll be more aggressive and get more pressure up front. Um, and and probably that's what needs to happen. I mean, the tongue-in-cheek joke is the Big Twelve is where defensive coordinators go to die. Um, how much of that is is reality, Bobby? Um, you know, well, it's, where, of, it's where bad defensive go- coordinators go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> they don't just die; they just go. <laughs> do not pass go. Go straight to hell. No, I, uh, I mean, I I don't think like uh, I, look the idea that and it, this goes for just about any conference these days. The the offenses and the rules are such that it really gives the um, uh, 
the offense is an, a major advantage, um, particularly with the RPO allowing the r- lineman to be three yards downfield instead of just one like in the NFL, allowing blocking when the ball's thrown behind the line of scrimmage and engaged downfield. So there's all these little nuanced rules that help in the college game that, that defense coordinators would just all say is just completely unfair. And, and, and I think that it, it is where defense coordinators go to die. The big 12 has historically been that just ask Mike Stoops. I mean, um, just about everyone that's been there at Oklahoma state under Gundy, everybody, but I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, that's where head coaches go to die because they can't field a defense half the time. Right? So, I feel like you're trying to slow down offenses in the Big 12 as opposed to stop them. And that takes a different mentality from a coach. Um, at the same time, it's not allowing them to walk the ball down the field like Todd Orlando did this year by playing your corners eight yards off the ball. I mean, you just can't, you can't do that anymore. The, the quarterback play in the Big 12 is too good and – your defense gets tired out by the third quarter and it, then then you're in for a dogfight the whole way. We are 15 days uh, in since Hurricane Herman uh, blew through his staff, removing his offensive and defensive coordinators and two receivers coaches. What uh, what has you excited? What has you concerned at this point? Well, I think the the number one thing that has me concerned is the the choice of offense coordinator. You know, I, I'm a I'm a big believer that Texas needs uh, a l- largely fundamental fundamental change on offense. Um, look, this power spread that Tom Herman has has gotten himself into, and and is really what he that's what he that's what he knows that's what he does and he seems to be showing an unwillingness to, to go to stray too far from it. And because of that, I think he may, you know, be on the outside looking in at some guys that could maybe change and help alter the offense with him um, or for him. And that means Graham Harrell, who may or may not, I, I still think that's around a 50, 50 deal. I mean, just all depends on the day, but, if Herman doesn't give in to the idea that the offense had issues last year, I don't think he's seeing the forest through the trees. I mean, they had eight, what eight or nine three and outs against Iowa State. They went two quarters, I think, without getting a first down against TCU. They couldn't move the ball against Baylor ever, really. They got luck. I mean, happened on a on a touchdown drive to end it. I mean, they look like donkey on on offense at times this year. They may have the total offense may not look all that bad. The stats of a Devin Duvernay may not look all that bad, or even the the quarterback. But the facts are that offense had major holes and was unable to move the ball in short yardage um, and key points. And they simply didn't have multiple answers for different defenses. I mean, they just it was. And this was supposed to be an offense that, in, to, to Herman's own admission, was supposed to be the best offensive line he's had at Texas. And he has a third-year starter quarterback. So what gives? I, I think that, that Texas has to look at what they're doing on offense and either evolve that power spread further or look at a different style, more pro-style 
West Coast style offense. So we'll we'll see where it goes with in with who he hires and the level of latitude that that hire gets. I got two things on that. What's okay. wrong with what's wrong with saying um, the amount of time I was spending game planning on offense was was taking too much time and energy and the offense wasn't evolving enough the way it should. And I owe that to the players to make sure that they've got someone in there who is a hundred percent full time focused on the offense so that we evolve and, and take it to a championship level. And that's my first thing. What's wrong with saying that? I think Herman would earn a ton of points. Um, and then secondly, this flirtation with Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell, for the most part, has had um, passing quarterbacks in his in his version of the air raid, not dual threat guys like Lincoln Riley has had in in his version of the air raid. And if if I'm Tom Herman, when I meet with Graham Harrell, I'm saying, Hey, how do you feel about what Lincoln's doing or can we, can I help you? Can I help, you know, take you, um, in and expand what you're doing with the dual threat quarterbacks that we have recruited here and your brilliance on offense and what you did at USC, which is amazing with, freshman quarterbacks, quarterback injuries, three different quarterbacks, including two in an upset win over Utah, started with Keaton Slovis, finished with Matt Fink. And then you sell it that way um, because it, it does sound like there's some concern from Graham Harrell about how much autonomy he would have. He has autonomy at USC. And Tom Herman is sending out signals that, you know, look, he's whoever comes in is going to have input about staff members, this and that. But at the end of the day, it's my name that signs those checks. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think so. But uh, I would imagine. And I both Greg, know it isn't. But Greg Fenvis, he is the right? one that he, metaphorically he signs them. I, right. I get what he's saying. I, Chip, you're you're. You're you're on to what I think is the biggest consternation of most Texas fans right now as it relates to Tom Herman. And it is, is he does he think he's too smart for his own good? You know, at sometimes you you have to get out of your own way and stop overthinking the world. Um that doesn't mean that he needs to throw the baby out with the bathwater to mix another metaphor. I I I just feel like the offense needs more than a tweak or two to compete. They, they came up too short too often on short yardage. They, they went into entire funks for, for games at a time. Um, it, it wasn't – and this is with a third-year starter quarterback, a repeat, a third-year starter quarterback, a good wide receiver crew, a – really good offensive line and they couldn't move the ball. That's not, that's not a small issue. That's a larger, it speaks to a larger issue. Now, is he capable of, of 
working himself out of that? Yeah, but man, the answer is not necessarily to throw it up deep um, and hope your guys come down with it, which is what I saw a little too much of this year. I, I wish that we, we could see more of this and see where he's, where he's hoping to go with it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I do believe that Graham Harrell would be a positive for um, the offense. I think that uh, some of the routes, well, I'll just be honest, I, I've, I think it really helped the receivers um, from a standpoint of getting them more, more space to work with. Uh, I don't see that a lot in, in the Texas offense, really, uh, currently. And so um, from that standpoint, I would, I would say that that's probably the, the, the piece that I would, I would point to. If, if anything, I just I'm like you in, in some ways, Chip. I think that there is a I, I, I think there's a disconnect here about what needs to be done, not necessarily how it needs to be done, but what needs to be done. I, I think there needs to be more changes than I think there need to be some fundamental changes to the offense, not slight tweaks. Yeah. And so that's where I'm at on it. And it's very possible the head coach doesn't f- see it that way. And so, therefore, it's very likely that we see something else. So yeah. that's just the way it is. Yeah, if I'm Tom Herman, I'm telling, I'm telling Graham Harrell how excited I am to work with you to combine what we know um, so that everything evolves. We both evolve as offensive minds and, and make it a collaborative thing and not a me versus you thing. Um, Bobby – it's clear that uh, that Tom Herman now wants to wait to make any kind of announcement with regard to the coordinators until after signing day. Um, what is your sense of that that decision? And um, you know, as of right now, it appears that it's working. It's, he's got the number seven class according to the twenty four seven Sports composite team rankings. Uh, your thoughts? I think it's working to, to a point. I think there, there's going, I, I think if they can get through Wednesday, which is just, you know, 48 hours, I guess, 36 hours away, they're going to be fine and they'll figure out who is left on the board and go from there. And then they can kind of reset over what they call the, the recruiting dead period. And so they've, you said the hurricane, Herman hurricane or whatever, They've withstood that initial brunt, and they've done it quite well. And I, like I said last week, I give Tom Herman credit for that, Brian Carrington credit, guys like Derek Chang, Chang behind the scenes, and then even guys like Andre Coleman and Jason Washington and Craig Nivar who've been on the road and, and whose jobs aren't necessarily guaranteed. You know, uh, They've still done some nice things and, and not uh, mailed it in altogether. So uh, I look at that. Uh, and then even a guy like Oscar Giles comes up with a commitment yesterday from Sawyer Gorham Welch, the, the big defensive tackle out of Longview. And I, I'm not, um, I, I was skeptical that it would work at the outset chip when he decided not to do that. But as the weeks went on and the days went on, it, it looked like it was a, a pretty good decision. Um, if, if he wanted, if he didn't know who he wanted to hire right away, it looked like it was a good enough decision. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. It's uh, it's always Christmas for 
you know, for college football fans uh, to find out who their next uh, wave of players to elevate the program, who those faces are going to be. Any other thoughts, Bobby, as we head into signing day? I know you've got your your podcast uh, with with Mike Roach, but give us a little taste over here on the flagship. Yeah, I mean, I just I was looking through. I wasn't just looking at Texas this week. I was looking at other teams in the Big Twelve. Um, Baylor looks like they're almost completely trying to retool or re re go on defense. I mean, they've got some really good defensive players. I got one for you. You realize that TCU of all their commitments, only two of them are defensive players right now. Wow. So they're going real heavy offense. Um, OU is is a terrific class. I really think that they're gonna. It's just a. They've got skill all over the place. Um, uh, not. Uh, you know, the other one that was surprising to me wasn't Iowa State. It was Kansas under Les Miles. They've got, done a good job of going everywhere from the, the local area of Kansas and Missouri to also going down into to, um, Louisiana, a little bit to Texas, some to California, and then even into the JUCO ranks. I, I, I like what, what Kansas has done. and That's probably the outlier in the Big 12 from where they should be, so to speak. And, and I think that's a, that's a good sign for them. Yeah. And Oklahoma, it seems is just strengthening its hold on Dallas Fort Worth, or at least getting what they want in terms of the offensive skill talent out of there. Your thoughts on, I mean, doesn't it get to the point where Texas and A&M have to have to bow up, with the fact that Oklahoma's won five straight Big 12 titles and Lincoln Riley has this reputation. Now, of course, how long is Lincoln Riley going to be there? Is Jerry Jones going to Well, I mean, look, what it, what it, Sean Payton makes, what, $13 million a year as head coach of the, the Saints? Is that right? I think I read that. Does that you sound ridiculous? $13 yeah, million? He, he did get a new contract. I'm not sure. Okay, uh, so, so the, the idea that Lincoln Riley wouldn't be persuaded by a job like the Dallas Cowboys to stay at Oklahoma. It's just financially, it's not, it's a different category. And I'm not, it's like, you know, you start getting into 10 plus million a year. (laughs) I don't know how much more money you need. Peyton's making 9 million a year. Uh, uh, Oh, Peyton is. Okay. I I thought it was 13 for some reason, but anyways, Long story short, you start getting in nine and ten. Well, OU, OU's not going to pay that. They don't. They don't need to. Um, and so I just I look at it and say, yeah, that may be a that may be one of the ways it happens. Uh, but realistically, Texas just has to start playing. They weren't that far away this year. They they really weren't. Um, and but their offense sputtered and looked like you know it looked so vanilla it was it was you know it wasn't even good vanilla <laughs> right <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't even french vanilla wasn't blue bill homemade vanilla it right was like blue bunny homemade yeah. vanilla. <laughs> I don't know what to say. but I, my point to all of this is that i look it's not they're not that far away um texas has a lot of talent on on campus Texas, I think, is going to have better defensive front than they'll have the best defensive front in the Big 12 next year. Um, so you look at that, in my opinion, and I think that's that goes a long way to having a good defense. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Bobby, 
Great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, we'll have a ton to talk about next week after signing day, and maybe we'll know who the other coordinator well, is. Hey, well, Chip, you did a great. I just want to say this for people that didn't necessarily follow it minute to minute and uh, hour by hour. You did a great job breaking the the Chris Ash story, and congrats to you. And I know you put a lot of hard work into it, and I I think uh, you did a did a hell of a job there. And and good luck on this offense coordinator search too. Appreciate that, my friend. Appreciate that. There he is, the Godfather, Bobby Burton. Um, the flagship rolls on. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Joined now on the flagship podcast by uh, one of the best in the business. This is why everyone subscribes to 247 Sports for people like Brian Doan, recruiting analyst in the Northeast, covered Chris Ash during his time at Rutgers, um, has certainly uh, gotten to know Chris Ash. And, uh, and so we thought who better to bring on, to talk about, um, our report, our breaking news from yesterday, from Sunday that Chris Ash, uh, will be the next defensive coordinator at Texas. Um, Brian, how you doing, man? Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And I know I've arrived when you have me on. You are hilarious. (laughs) You're hilarious. Uh, Brian is about as connected as it gets. And again, the best recruiting analyst staff. That's why if you're not a member at Horns 24-7, get an annual membership because that gets you VIP access to every team site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And you get to see Brian Doan's work all over the place because he's, man, he's touching recruiting everywhere. Um, He and, and... Mike Roach and Gabe Brooks, they all work together. And, of course, he's got a lot going on. So we won't waste his time because signing day is two days away. But, Brian, we did want to get you on just to, you know, talk about Chris Ash a little bit. For Texas fans who don't really know Chris Ash, what uh, what stands out about him? Because um, they see the record at Rutgers, the 8-32 and 32 record in three-plus seasons, and they, they, don't know what to, they don't know what to make of Chris Ash. Yeah, I think that's really a great starting point because Rutgers is unlike any job in the country. Um, And all you need to know is when they hired Chris's replacement, Greg Schiano, the governor got involved. And I know football is big in Texas and in some other places, but I don't know too many places where the politics are such 
where the governor gets involved with the hiring of a football coach at a state school. Wow. Let's start there. Um, so that's what that's what Ash was dealing with. And if you're not from this area, it's it, it's different. Um, but what I really want to focus on when you're talking about Ash and what Texas fans, to me, they should be absolutely thrilled that he's going to be the defensive coordinator because he has a lot of experience, whether it's at Wisconsin, um, Arkansas, where it didn't go as well as he wanted, but, you know, Arkansas is a tough place, or Ohio State, where he won a national championship as a D coordinator there with Urban Meyer. Um, and just look at what his defenses have done. And even when he left Ohio State, Urban Meyer still wanted a lot of the same teachings that Chris had instilled when he was at Ohio State. And then if you really want to get a little bit further into it, about the halfway point of the 2018 season at Rutgers is when Chris Ash started calling the defense for Rutgers. And if you, you'll see it. If you look at you know, game by game, you'll see where it's like 48 points, 57 points, 26. And you'll see the market improvement made in the defense. And even when you look at a game against Iowa this past year where they lose 30 to nothing, well, they go into Iowa, and it's pretty much a 10 nothing game at that a half, and I think Iowa had more points than the offensive Rutgers had yards, and so that really hurt what would happen at the end, but his defenses were always really well prepared. Schemes were good. Now, he did like to play corners, leave them out on an island, not a lot of safety help, um, and he wants long corners, so that's something to look at, but I, I think in speaking to a lot of people about Chris Ash over the last few years and the struggles he had at Rutgers and when he got to Rutgers, the excitement that was generated there, they all came back with two of the same characteristics. A, the guy knows how to scheme a defense, and B, he will never be outworked. Well, and those are great traits to have um, because, look, Tom Herman uh, has uh, – a huge vision for Texas. It, it didn't get there in year three, but as he liked to say a year ago, we're ahead of schedule. So I've, I've said if they took 10 steps in year two, 10 steps forward, they sort of took six or seven steps back in year three, and they got to get those steps back. And I don't think there's any question that having a, a guy like Chris Ash, who was under Urban Meyer, who helped win a national championship at Ohio State. Those are two guys who know what it takes to get to the highest level. How, how would you describe, um, you know, his demeanor? Because um, Herman's a fire breather. I don't think he makes any apologies about it. There's been some question about how well he relates to his players away from football. You know, does he sit down and, at lunch and ask them how their girlfriends are doing. Um, how would you describe Chris Ash? Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say he's a guy that's going to be heavily emotional and you're not going to see him jumping up and down and, and raving like a lunatic on the sideline. He's very measured. He's very focused. He does not let emotion get the best of him. He'll always remain calm. And I know in, in, you know, being around Rutgers as the head coach, they're like, hey, I wish his speeches would always be fiery. He's not that guy. 
he's the guy that's going to put everybody in place, give them the responsibility of what they're going to do in the defense, teach it like crazy, and make sure that they're well drilled. Um, you know, I compare him, you know, I, I had covered basketball for a bit out on the West Coast, and I covered Ben Hallen when he was at UCLA. And the thing about Ben was, especially in season, was if you weren't thinking about basketball every waking minute, he, he couldn't understand how that could possibly be. I mean, he's a basketball coach. He didn't even want to go to the movies on, like, a road trip because he'd have to leave halfway through because he, he, he's thinking about basketball. And, and I think Ash is very similar in that. You know, he gets, he gets fired from Rutgers, and everybody knows the story of how he went down to Texas, and everybody's like, oh, he's hired at Texas. No, he went down to watch what Texas was doing as a program and, and how Tom Herman was running things. He went out to Washington State, I believe. It was either Washington or Washington State. He did some clinics for people. He went to check out Temple. He was all over the place going to watch practices and to pick the brains of people that were running programs at other schools so he could learn from it and see what they were doing. And look, Chip, it, I don't know about you, but for me, if somebody gave me $10 million to not work and I knew I was going to have a job in three months, you know, I may be in the Mediterranean, I don't know, maybe in the Caribbean, Fiji, Hawaii. Right. This, this dude went around to, you know, look at football programs so he can get a better idea of what other people are doing so he could better his skill set. So Drew Maringer was with Chris for a year yes. as the offensive coordinator at Rutgers. What, what happened there? Yeah, I think it was just um, an early fit, and I don't think um, the the way it, it turned out. Like I thought, Drew was a good coach first of all, who got a bad rap. So, and I think it was a big learning lesson for Chris in terms of how to run a program. So Drew comes in, he wants to run up tempo, no huddle, move the ball all over, spread you out. Well, that's great, you know, if you have the players to do it. When you don't have the players to do it and you're going three and out and all of a sudden your defense is gassed, you know, three drives into the game because they're out there for 30 plays, it really becomes counterproductive. And I think a lot of people on the outside heap blame on Merringer because the offense wasn't producing. But, you know, Chip, if you and I line up at receiver and in the slot, we're not getting open in college. No, no offense to our ability. So, you know, you can be the world's best coach, but my goodness, I, I'd much rather have really good players than a good coach because, you know, the best coach is not going to be able to make bad players good. Yeah, and he needed to get players before he could uh, evolve into that uh, that kind of offense. What uh, He runs a 4-3 or he tends to base out of a 4-3, the 4-3 over. Um, they say the Big 12 is where defensive coordinators come to die um, because of all the dynamic offenses here. Your thoughts on how his scheme, uh, you said he likes long corners and likes to leave them out there. I think he plays press quarters coverage, kind of like Gary Patterson at TCU. Um, you tell us. Yeah, he, he does like to press and, you know, play quarters. But one of the things that, that Rutgers made him do was it had to, he, he was forced to be creative because, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know this or your listeners know this, but 
Rutgers' defensive front isn't quite up to par as Clemson's. And so it makes it a lot of, you know, they don't have the defensive ends to get pressure. They didn't have great size. So he really started changing things. And he was running sometimes a little bit of a a 3-4, where then sometimes he would bring the, you know, whether he was going to put the an outside linebacker with his hand on the ground. Sometimes they were playing with what you would just figure are three defensive tackles on the line of scrimmage. So it forced him to do a lot of things creatively to try to win some matchups and try to disguise some deficiencies that the defense had. And look, man, he's a base 4-3 guy, like you said, wants the corners to press, and he's going to leave them outside. And that's what he wants to do. But I think what he also learned, especially with having to scheme things at Rutgers, is you can't always do that. And I think one of the fun things with the way it's evolved is, you know, you, you take teams like Iowa and Michigan and Wisconsin, who they played, and it was just run the ball down your throat. They were bigger and more physical, so you had to deal with that. And then you had to deal with stuff on whether it was Purdue or Minnesota or Northwestern and schools like that where you really had to, you know, move things around and, and kind of go with more spread stuff. So he's, he's had the, the, uh, the, he's had to deal with the versatility and he'll, he'll get that um, in the big 12 as well. K States, a ground and pound. Um, And then there's just a ton of spread obviously. Um, But Brian, the urban Meyer, influence where do you see urban meyer and chris ash i I think it's one of the really unique things about chris is he's worked a lot of different places and he's very well connected and so when stuff happens he calls urban meyer and says hey what do you think of this or what what am i what's the thought process here and so when he needs stuff he'll call urban meyer and get advice whether it's scheme-wise, whether it's how to handle a player, a lot of things like that. But the other thing that's impressive is he has what I always felt like was a never-ending Rolodex. So if he wants to check in with somebody, he'll be able to check in with them and run some things past them, whether it's somebody that, you know, maybe Texas is playing K-State and K-State played that non-conference, you know, game early in the year. And he's going to be able to get in touch with somebody who just defended K-State and pick their brain on it because I'm telling you, it's almost like he knows every coach out there in the country. It, it's, and to me, that is something that's invaluable. And again, he didn't have success at Rutgers. And I look at it and you can't, people will get stuck on that. And you can't, you it's a separate entity. It's its own organism working at Rutgers. It's in 50 years, they've had one guy be successful kind of deal. So you, you almost have to say, okay, what positives can he take out of that and then branch everything back to Ohio State and how he did there and then Wisconsin and Arkansas. And you've got to remember, you know, before Dino Babers got the job at Syracuse, Syracuse's target was Chris Ash. So it wasn't just he had one job. He was considered that hot up-and-coming assistant coach at the time he got the job. Talking to Brian Doan, uh 247 Sports recruiting analyst in the Northeast covered Chris Ash uh, a bit at Ohio State, certainly at Rutgers. I don't know how much you know about this situation, Brian, but it sounded like 
if uh, if Jeff Halfley got the Boston College job, which happened, uh, that Ryan Day might be interested in in bringing Chris Ash back as a co-defensive coordinator with Greg Madison, who's the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State currently, um, and and that that might p- possibly pull on him uh, and impact maybe Tom Herman's ability to to bring in Chris Ash. Uh, your thoughts on that situation, um, you know, from what you know? Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, um, there's a couple different factors that played into the whole Ohio State versus Texas thing. The, the Jeff Halfley to Boston College thing moved very slowly, right? It wasn't like, okay, one day he interviews, two days later he's the coach. He's interviewing, and then he's not brought back for a second interview for like a week because of the timing up at BC. And obviously, Ash has that relationship with Ryan Day at Ohio State. And my understanding is that if Chris wanted to go that route with Ohio State, the opportunity would have presented itself for him to get involved in very deep discussions about it. Um, You know, Madison runs the defense there, you know, calls the plays at least for the most part. So I'm not sure how that dynamic would work. But I look at it from this standpoint. Texas is a new challenge for him. If he wants another head coaching job, in my eyes at least, Texas will give him that opportunity before Ohio State will. Because, I mean, look, I may live up here in the Northeast, but I I watched that Texas-Kansas game. And I, I, you just can't give up. If you're Texas, you just can't be giving up that many points. And so that's when you start thinking about the athletes that Texas has. They do have talent, and I get to see enough of it when I go to these all-star games, it, you know, coming up at the end of the year. And you see these rosters, you know, with Texas commits on it. So you've seen it over the years, and you just know that the talent is there. It just wasn't clicking. And so I think for Ash, he can come in. You know, probably hire some new guys there that he'd feel comfortable with, maybe keep some guys there that he feels comfortable with. Um, it just feels like a fresh start there for him. And I feel like he has a lot more to gain at Texas because if you go to Ohio State and you go 12-1 and one and lose by a point to Michigan, everybody wants you fired. Yeah. Well, and in Ash's time at Ohio State, he came in in 14 – he called the defense. They gave up 22 points per game, and then he remained. Herman went to Houston. Ash stayed at Ohio State, and in 2015, his defense gave up only 15 points per game. So, um, you know, that's probably where people should be looking at Ash. Obviously, he had great players there at Ohio State, but Texas has had back-to-back top three recruiting classes. If they can reel in this class that's ranked number seven right now, starting Wednesday, um, he'll have players to work with. Yeah, and, and I think, to me, that's, a, that's exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about whether it's Texas, Ohio State, wherever. Texas is going to have a lot of players. Will they have the caliber that Ohio State does? Well, geez, there's only about three programs in the country that have that kind of talent right now. So the idea is... Can you have a defense that you can count on week in and week out? And it's not going to play its best game every week. That's basically impossible to do. But you're looking at, can he make it better? Can he make it easier? And he is known for teaching tackling, right? They call it you know, rugby tackling, which is basically um, 
it's basically where you're just kind of instead of head on, you're kind of like sweeping them and 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 getting them all turned when you tackle and, and all that jazz. But you know, he's supposed to be innovative in that because he's gone to do some clinics while he was off this fall to do to teach that stuff. And it's something that you know you really have to look at as a as a defense and how can he where can the where can the improvements be made to me? Is it with tackling? Is it with scheme? Is it with busted coverages? Is it with knowing assignments? It, you know, there's a lot of things that he's going to be able to fix because, like I said, man, when you're giving up 50 points to Kansas, there is a lot of things to fix. Brian, we know you're going 100 miles an hour. You got signing day coming up on Wednesday, man. We really appreciate you taking some time for us today here at the flagship podcast on Horns 24-7. Merry Christmas to you, my man. And uh, we'll be in touch. Hey, thanks for having me. Look at that. His phone is ringing right now. Brian Doan, he's, he's working it. All right, great stuff there, Chip, with uh, Brian Doan. Now, let's turn our focus over to the offensive coordinator search. We have the defense coordinator search kind of in the past now. Chip, what are you hearing as the latest going on with Tom Herman's search for his next offensive coordinator? Well, it's been interesting because... There's no doubt in my mind that Tom Herman, um, as we reported, even before December 1st, even before Tom Herman, uh, Hurricane Herman blew through his staff and removed both coordinators, we reported in the eyes of Texas our, our weekly insider notes package where Longhorn insiders come to eat. We reported that Graham Harrell was going to be the lead candidate to replace Tim Beck as offensive coordinator. Um, and, and that absolutely has played out. I mean, Tom Herman met with Graham Harrell in Houston on December 4th and, you know, then Harrell went back to USC. That was also the same day that USC announced Clay Helton was being retained as the coach. So, you know, the fact that that meeting happened even after Clay Helton was, was announced as, uh, you know, the, the coach at USC, and that he'd be coming back. The fact that that meeting happened with with Harold and Herman, I thought was a positive for Tom Herman. And and then then Harold went back to Los Angeles, and and then since then it's been interesting because, um, and I'll let you speak to some of this too, Taylor, because you've you've been you know doing your due diligence, talking to your sources, and um, heck, you're from sunny Southern California, so you you know people. Uh, connected to USC, but, um, you know, there, I was told that there were concerns from Graham Harrell about how much Tom Herman would be involved in the offense. How much autonomy would Graham Harrell have? Because at USC, Clay Helton let Graham Harrell run the show mm-hmm. and, and Harrell did a great job. They went from 26 to 33 points per game. They did it with a freshman quarterback in Keaton Slovis and Slovis got better as the year went on, finished with 500 yards passing in, in a route of UCLA four 100 yard receivers. Um, and two of those four will be back next year. Amon Ross St. Brown and then Brew McCoy also uh, becomes eligible. And, and so there's a lot to be excited about if you're Graham Harrell in terms of what you're working with there at USC. Now, Clay Helton's embattled. Some would argue Tom Herman is embattled. 
Um, we're not sure what the leash is on on Tom Herman, but I would imagine uh, he's a little bit more secure than Clay Helton. But that depends on on how these coordinator searches go and signing day and everything else. So I think the fact that that uh, well, first of all, I've reported this that they met on Wednesday, December fourth. I heard on Friday, December sixth, Harold told Herman. Um, to, you know what, I'm, I think I'm good here at USC. And then I checked with sources here at Texas and was told, no, it's Harold's still in the mix. Conversations are ongoing. I was told. So it's, it's been interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that, um, there've been some, some signals here lately that maybe, Tom Herman and, and Harrell are having a little bit of trouble seeing eye to eye with how this offense would would go forward. But um, Taylor, I know you've been making calls too. What what's your sense of it? You know, um, yeah, I mean, I as we actually mentioned this in the flagship last week, I kind of hinted to Texas fans, you know, if this offensive coordinator search drags on the less likely it's going to be Graham Harrell. And, you know, that was a little nugget, if anybody picked up on it, that we then later reported in the eyes. That's what I've been hearing from the USC side of things, that, you know, some of, um, you know, Graham Harrell's been doing as much digging into Tom Herman as Tom Herman has been doing digging into him. And I think there's some things that Graham Harrell was not, you know, kind of question marks about Tom Herman. And, you know, I think the, the fact that the possible instability with him being the head coach was something that Harold was weighing in on, you know, that's not something he was overlooking. Like, sure. It's the same. It's a similar. It's probably a worse situation at USC possibly, you know, with Clay Helton's future there. But the thing that Graham Harrell has is already established relationships with the players at USC. He, you know, they USC was going to give him whatever he wanted in a contract standpoint um, to retain him and from what I had been hearing from multiple sources was that Harold had intentions of staying with USC. Now, with these type of situations, you know, they can change at a moment's notice. We have witnessed it in our career, Chip, like you've seen it more times than not. So you always have to be, you kind of be cautious with the way that we report this, the stuff because they literally do change. Um, but from everything I was hearing last week, and I've continued to here moving forward, you know, up until now is that that's where things stood with or and currently stand with Graham Harrell. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Texas is entirely out of the mix. I don't think that Texas is entirely out of the mix until they announce the contract extension of Graham Harrell at USC. However, I do think that there is a lot of concern coming from Harrell's side of the situation that would make him balk a little bit of, of jumping ship with Tom Herman and with Texas and I think you you hit on it. You know, um, Tom Herman's an offensive-minded coach, and I think that Tom Herman's going to have Tom Herman's offense on the field, whether you think it's the right choice or not. Um, and that's, you know, Graham Harrell has kind of free reign at USC to run the offense the way he sees fit, and it worked out for USC this season. I mean, what were, what were they ranked? 18th in total offense, I believe, in college football. I mean, you know, that doesn't just happen with any Joe Schmo offensive coordinator. You know, that happens with somebody that knows what they're doing, somebody who 
um, sticks to what he knows and finds the best players, you know, finds the way to work his scheme around the players' talents at USC. And I think that's what you saw from the Trojans this season. I don't know if that would be the case that, as you mentioned, um, of him being able to do that at Texas. So, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we're still monitoring, you know, but as I said last week, the longer this plays out, I think the more, the more you're going to see Herman go to plan B. And I, you know, maybe that's back to the drawing board. Cause I think that from what I've been told, I think Tom Herman believed he'd be able to get Graham Harrell and did not expect this to play out the way it has. And because of the instability at USC and, you know, most people with a brain in their head would probably think that too. Um, the only thing that Herman has is I don't think he realizes how small the coaching community can be. And so these coaches are going to talk to each other and there's going to be questions asked about what it's like to work for Tom Herman. You know, what, what does he do since he's, you know, has been heralded in the past as an offensive guru, you know, how much leash is he going to have? So I think that, you know, that remains the same. Um, I have not heard anything different that would make me, you know, write something that would say, hey, the USC side is now losing, you know, confidence. It's It's been little by little more and more confidence coming from that side. Yeah, in fact, um, we had John Brown, the father of Amon Ra St. Brown, on the radio show on uh, The Zone in Austin, 6 to 9, uh, weekday mornings, you know, iHeartRadio app. Um, and John Brown said that he said on the radio that, you know, he was hearing Harold, uh, was telling folks he was staying at USC. So, uh, intrigue everywhere. Okay. So let's play the, the what if game. What if, uh, for whatever reason, Graham Harrell stays at USC, where does Tom Herman go from there? I think you've got to feel out Joe Brady and see if there's anything you can do, uh, to, you know, give him what he wants in terms of lone offensive coordinator status. Whereas at LSU, he's, he's co-coordinator most likely after this season with Steve Ensminger and, and LSU can pay him a pile of money. Heck, they already pay defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, another guy with Herman ties over $2 million. And Ed Orgeron is not exactly the highest paid head coach. So LSU has money. They can pay Joe Brady uh, what needs to be paid. And, and LSU is, is, you know, they might win the national championship this year. Yeah. So they just uh, have a Heisman winner. And, <laughs> Joe and, Burrow and, just won the Joe Heisman. Burrow, largest margin of victory of any Heisman winner surpassing OJ Simpson in 1968. So, and what if, what if Joe Brady is good at LSU? Well, a name to keep an eye on, which I think is interesting because it kind of goes um, in a little bit of a, a polar opposite direction, um, is a guy named Courtney Messingham. He's the offensive coordinator at Kansas State, currently under Chris Kleiman, the, the, who just finished his first year as the head coach at K-State. And people are probably saying, huh, who's Courtney Messingham? Well, Courtney Messingham was Herman's receivers coach at Iowa State. He was um, on Paul Rhodes' staff. He was actually the tight ends coach and receivers coach um, from 2009 to 2011 when Herman was there. And then Courtney Messingham succeeded Tom Herman 
as the offensive coordinator at Iowa State when Herman went on to Ohio State in 2012. And so there's a familiarity there. There's a comfort level there. And obviously, um, Courtney Messingham is with Chris Kleiman running a, a predominantly run, um, you know, run offense, it, quarterback involved in the running game. And, and so, whereas Graham Harrell is more of the passing end of it, you know, his air raid is more of the passing air raid version. He runs the ball, but he hasn't had a dual threat quarterback as part of his air raid offense at North Texas or at USC, like Lincoln Riley has had with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and uh, Jalen Hurts at OU. And as we talked about with Bobby, that to me, I, I thought would have been the really cool conversation between Tom Herman and Graham Harrell. You know, hey, I would love to work with you on, on you know, evolving – your version of the air raid. I'd love to help you with that mm-hmm. uh, and make it a collaborative thing because I think Graham Harrell has this same reputation that Lincoln Riley had three years ago as a guy who just sees it, makes great adjustments, is a great teacher. The players love him. He moves the sticks. And, you know, the next step for him. If if he if this is what he wants is to evolve it in a way uh, that Lincoln Riley has. I mean, Lincoln Riley was a Mike Leach guy at, at Tech, the passing air raid, and now look at him. I mean, he's running counter tray, he's pulling linemen. It they run the ball uh, as effectively as anyone. Their play action leaves Ceedee Lamb wide open all the time, which is just confounding because the guy is the one guy you have to stop in the passing game and yet he's always open. It seems right. so, you know, that's, that's what I had envisioned uh, or thought, wow, what, how cool would that be if that's how the conversation went? Um, and now with Courtney Messingham and again, it's just a name to keep an eye on because of the familiarity that Tom Herman has. And Herman, we know is big on loyalty. He's not, we haven't seen him get completely, out of his comfort zone and, and who knows, you know, this is, uh, it, it, Tom Herman was very confident last week in San Antonio at the Alamo bowl press conference that he felt like the, the recruiting class was going to hold together. And so he was in no hurry to name, uh, his coordinators, but, um, just, a just a name to, to file away. Courtney Messingham Taylor. That's why you listen to the flagship. Cause you get, all those little nuggets <laughs> that we, uh, you know, Chip has the best sources out there, works the phones constantly. Sometimes it drives me nuts because I know he's always on his phone, and I'll send him text messages like, "Where, where's your stuff for the eyes? And I don't hear back because, <laughs> I, and he has about 8 million unread text messages and emails too, which oh. my OCD kicks in uh, <laughs> and drives me nuts. <laughs> my great, great flaws. Oh, gosh. I'll, I hey, but I've been doing better on the eyes lately. You've been doing great. Yes. Oh, my goodness. The last, what was it, three straight weeks? I've gotten it early. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, one day we, we released it at 2.30 on uh, on Wednesday, for crying out loud. Oh, Wednesday. Let's keep that going. I kind of like that. that. Going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then let's wrap up this episode 11 of the flagship. Um, 
Thanks to Bobby Burton, of course, the godfather. Thanks to Brian Doan. Um, and again, another reason to get that annual membership to Horns 24-7 so that you're getting all the VIP access to recruiting, especially with National Signing Day on Wednesday. Are you kidding me? Um, and thanks to my new contract extended teammate here, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, the five-tool player, Taylor Estes. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas and, to you, too. And let's let's do it again next week on what will be episode 12 of the flagship Merry Christmas, everybody, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.